Hello and welcome to Meet the Researcher, where we meet staff from the Faculty of Sport, Health and Social Sciences at Solent University. This podcast is for anyone interested in research and the person behind the process. It's hosted by me, Dr Emma Mosley and Dr Mark Turner, where we take it in turns to chat to faculty members to get to know them and their research. We hope you enjoy. Hi everyone, welcome back to the Meet the Researcher podcast. This week I'm joined by Dr Shelley Duncan, who is a senior research fellow here and she's also the research lead for human function and health. Hi Shelley, thank you for joining me. Great to be here. Let's hear about how did you get to, to where you are today? Uh, well, um, this is my third stint in the UK. Uh, the last stint I did was actually as a social worker within Care and Protection Services um, out in good old um, Essex or Barking and Dagenham. And um, I decided at the time when I was working there that I didn't want to be doing social work in five years' time. And if I didn't, I needed to retrain. So I returned to New Zealand with the goal of uh, doing an undergraduate degree in um, physical education and health. And I figured out within the first year of doing that that I'd be an appalling teacher. I just didn't have the patience for it. So I thought it was a good degree to have and packed up sports science papers as well. Yeah, it was an interesting journey because I actually didn't think that I had sufficient intelligence, I guess, to get myself through a degree. But I thought I'd take a punt and see what happened. Uh, Luckily for me, I had an amazing prof who took me under his wing and actually mentored me through my degree and actually helped me in terms of developing my skills around writing and how to write an essay. Um, It was through that and my engagement with sports science that I ended up doing my um, postgraduate diploma in exercise rehabilitation. And at that time, I had uh, the supervisor, um, the prof there that was guiding us. Um, He was brutal. He'd scare you um, in terms of you'd stand up to do a presentation and he would just tear strips off it and be really brutal. But for me, that worked really well. And although it instilled fear in terms of standing up and presenting in front of people, it made me work harder because I didn't want to look like a Muppet. Um, and I, I wanted to make sure that um, I was getting good feedback from him. So I had, I had to put the work in. And some of the work around that was in the subjects that I was struggling in is actually employing a tutor um, to get me past the post to make sure I would pass the the diploma. Um, I ended up then doing my master's with the same professor in exercise uh, science. And it was a culmination of nutrition, optometry and exercise um, physiology, uh, quite a combination of, of different things, looking at um, fatigue and glycogen depletion on visual performance. Um, and from that, uh, we figured out that actually it was um, there was an effect of fatigue, but but not glycogen depletion. That it was um, uh, supraspinal, so meaning it was something going on in the brain that would affect um, visual performance. And it got me interested in the brain, and uh, I kind of reached out um, to different opportunities to do a PhD, um, and ended up being awarded a scholarship um, with Victoria University in Melbourne. 
where I did my PhD in cognitive and behavioural neuroscience. Um, so that was looking at the effects of ageing and um, on spatial navigation using mobile EEG. Um, interestingly, when I started it, I'd never encountered EEG, so electroencephalography, and I literally had to do a, um, a call to the states to find out actually what plug went where because I didn't even know how to connect the system. Uh, it was a, a very steep learning slope um, and in fact, in the first year of data collection, at the end of that, I realised all my data was corrupted and couldn't be salvaged, so I had to start from scratch. But fortunately for us in Australia, instead of a three years to do a PhD, we had four. So I had three years to salvage my PhD and get it past the post. Yeah, so that was my kind of journey. And then I got a job here at Solent um, as a postdoc. Um, within cognitive and behavioural neuroscience uh, was the only one um, here at Solent. So it was a kind of a, a hit and miss approach to what I was going to do with my research. And then got embedded with helping develop the PGR community, um, the research community and culture, um, develop collaborations externally. The best one was probably with University of Kent in Canterbury, um, where I've been able to develop my research. That's fantastic. How do you think your kind of background in, in social work like leads into the life of an academic? Disciplinary-wise, not a lot. Um, but I think what it is in terms of social work, having been a social worker for 15 years, uh, you develop a level of resilience in terms of problem solving. Mm. Um, and you don't sweat the small stuff. Being a social worker for that long, I, I came out a bit skewed in terms of my perception of what was problem. So every day, a person's everyday difficulties, for me, it was just like, well, just kind of get on with it, crack on and, and, and get it done. So my perception of difficult was quite skewed. And mm. saying that, because it was skewed, I didn't sweat the small stuff. Yeah. Um, and I'd still try not to sweat the small stuff. Um, and you really do engage a problem-solving brain, which I think is crucial for research, um, for doing any kind of study, for researching, for teaching. Problem-solving is a, a fundamental skill to have. It's clearly like obviously taught you a lot and shaped you as a person. Yeah, it's nice to see two quite different areas like almost come together. So in terms of uh, a fact about you that doesn't relate to research, what can you give us an insight to? Well, there's two things. One, um, I failed at school. The highest uh, certificate I walked out of with, with um, school was my leaving certificate. Um, I literally went to school to socialise. I didn't go to school to learn. Um, so hence me thinking there was no way I could ever do a degree because I really didn't have what it took to do a degree. Um, but what I rapidly found out, it's not about being or feeling intelligent or academic it's about hard work mm. um and the other thing that I developed as a social worker is I got into sci-fi and fantasy and reading when I was a social worker because it was a way of logging up from the day of the work that I did and I've maintained that and that's led to being involved in uh liking gaming and um playing Dungeons and Dragons great and I like that. And actually, it's quite it's quite sociable, isn't it? Like you can play with like friends and things like that. So, um, yeah. So anybody listening that likes Dungeons and Dragons, you've got somebody that you can team up with. Hopefully, we can get you some some more gaming buddies. Let's move on to the kind of what then. So, what is your research area? 
two key pipelines. One is around working um, within um, the clinical population, so that's um, specifically neurological diseases, so namely Parkinson's disease. So I do a lot of my work with University of Kent, um, looking at uh, using mobile technology um, to explore Parkinson's disease. And I've been doing that now, gosh, it must be going on four years, quite, quite exciting and a really great team at Kent um, who are incredibly supportive and um, have been in the field for a while and have really robust um, a robust team um, and knowledge base. So um, that's the, the network that, that I've developed and I thank goodness for because it's been a real saving grace for me. Um, and the other pipeline is around the use of simulated immersive environments, looking at um, the use of immersive environments uh, to, I guess, enhance decision making and look at skill development um, instead of the real world context, use simulation um, and look at the trans um, how translatable that is to the real world context. So can we optimise decision making and that can translate to the real world? Why why Parkinson's, just out of interest? I don't know. I, just, I find it fascinating. It's such a complex disease that, I mean, there's so many layers to it. You, you can have a have a, um, someone that with a diagnosis of Parkinson's that will not present the same way in terms of symptoms. And there are so many different avenues to be looking at with Parkinson's. There are multiple pathways in terms of Parkinson's of what you can look at. So uh, one of them being actually what are the causes of Parkinson's or neurological diseases um, as a whole. Um, the other pathway is around uh, researching how does Parkinson's progress over time. So um, looking at, um, I mean, if you look at Parkinson's in itself, uh, you, you are literally looking at five to eight years um, with onset of disease before you see something, a visible symptom of the disease. Um, so research that is exploring those things, what is the, what is uh, a biomarker of Parkinson's so we can diagnose it earlier. Um, the other pipelines are around treatment. So treatment in terms of cure and treatment in terms of um, managing of symptoms. So there are so many different pathways and, and what I'm excited about is actually looking at how those different pathways are progressing, but also what's the overlap. So is there overlap in terms of our development of understanding of actually how how does someone, you know, how does this disease happen? And looking at actually if, if we can identify how this disease happens, then we can maybe look at how can we stop it from happening in terms of cure. So it's it's uh, it's it's fascinating and it's certainly growing um, in terms of not only the research that's been conducted. I mean, you look at the Michael J. Fox Foundation in the States. I mean, that's huge. They've they've generated billions of dollars um, of funding to um, support research in the area. Um, you've got Parkinson's UK um, and Parkinson's Foundation here um, here in the UK that that um, not only support Parkinson's patients on the ground in their everyday world, but also um, look at how they can create services, providers, research to help our understanding um, of, of, of Parkinson's. Yeah, it sounds so interesting. You know, you've obviously got clear pipelines of, of research areas, those, di those different things, but obviously it is interesting to then see how those different areas interact. And really it's not a one size fits all approach. Yeah. I mean, if you look at, I mean, there are, there are a raft of different medications for Parkinson's and different treatments. 
like deep brain stimulation so whereby the the electrodes that are placed within the brain have a same kind of effect as a heart pacemaker mm-hmm. so if you think about everyone most people know what a what a pacemaker is for the heart similar concept for the brain so it's the excitability of the brain that that is disrupted with parkinson's so having the dbs deep brain stimulation electrodes within the brain um, can control that excitability sometimes in the cases treatments lose efficacy so they be, they, they, that means that they're no longer working or they're not efficacious they're not as working as well as they used to so we need to be looking at okay what else can we do what else can we do to enhance someone's lived experience so that they're not so compromised by the symptoms I, I find that I, I find it not only exciting in terms of the development of the research area in of itself, but also the development of technology to enable us to evaluate this more robustly, like the use of mobile brain imaging. Um, and also, you know, the holy grail is, can we affect someone's lived experience? Absolutely. So can you talk to me about some of your, your current work in this area? So uh, some of the work that I'm doing currently um, is I have uh, supervised or am supervising students um, at University of Kent who are currently working on um, data collection uh, with a um, population with Parkinson's disease. Um, and so we're doing that through the use of mobile brain imaging. I mean, the goal for me is at the moment that we're using mobile brain imaging and um, EMG. Uh, to in a seated paradigm, seated structure, but the goal is to actually move that to ambulatory. So looking at actually gait analysis, um, so having them walking. Um, most people know within Parkinson's and some um, symptoms, you can have uh, gait alteration such as gait freezing, gait shuffling. Um, and so what I'm wanting to do is, is is look at actually what's happening in the brain when these things are happening. Yeah, and I know you're a big advocate of multimodal research. So how do you see that fitting perhaps with like the, the work that you do here and the work that you do at Kent? Um, if you're talking Parkinson specific, what we've seen, and, and certainly a, a friend of mine works as a senior occupational therapist in the hospital, and she said quite a while ago that one of the treatments that they use with Parkinson's is the um, is a metronome. So when someone's walking and they're, and they're time locking their gait to the metronome, they're, they're overcoming some of those sticking points, the, the, the gait problems. Um, and so... And what we know within research is that the major problem around um, movement is that of voluntary movement. So if you're wanting to measure what's going on in the brain with walking, you can't use an external stimulus. You can't use a metronome because it's um, that may, that means it's um, the movement is uh, affected by time locking it to the metronome. So if you want something voluntary you've got to have no external stimulus like no external triggers so that's why we brought an emg because emg what emg can do is actually uh, provides a marker of muscle onset the activation onset so basically you time lock the onset of the muscle activation with what's happening in the brain so we can figure out what's going on so interesting and you obviously we know each other quite well we work together and we we both have a really kind of similar ethos around using multiple areas to to really kind of figure out what's actually happening in terms of these different phenomena that we're interested in it just all sounds so fascinating and i'm really excited to see kind of what comes of that 
linking to that then, why do you do what you do? What's the bigger picture here? I guess there's two things. One is about developing the research, not only for myself, but for the for more people, like the students and my colleagues. Because I'm a, a massive advocate of multidisciplinary, multimodal um, methodological approaches to, to doing research and science, it's about enabling people like yourself, um, other psychologists or biomechanists or exercise physiologists to work together as a team because it's not just about one discipline anymore. Not when we're looking at human functions, about connecting the dots, connecting the jigsaw together. Um, I was at a conference quite a few years ago where one of the leading professors in, in neuroscience said, you know, we, we've, we've done really well at identifying how individual aspects of a human, how it works, like how the heart works, how muscles work. And we're, we're gaining more knowledge of how the brain works with the, the advancements in um, brain imaging technology. But what we've now got to do is we've got to connect all those variables together and look at how they relate to each other and inform what we're seeing in behaviour. So although early days and methodologically there's there's complications about you know incorporating different not overloading not not putting too many methodologies or um, technology together because if you've got a range of technologies and, and and one kind of testing procedure it makes it really difficult to unpack mm. so it's about building blocks about connecting so emg and um eeg it's about connecting um emg eeg and heart rate variability so looking at how those things relate with each other to inform what we're seeing in behavior so that's one thing about pushing that narrative uh and the other for me is really it's it's just about learning more about parkinson's i mean that's my my absolute passionate area i i find it fascinating and i don't get to do enough research in my job currently i'm swamped by the by the admin but when i do get to get my hands on data when i get my hands on in terms of being in the lab and working with my students i, I just love it yeah i think that's you know really apparent and obviously there we do have a day job as well obviously research is part of that but sometimes unfortunately you do have to share but i think when you have that passion it means that you, you end up making time for it and you do really enjoy it when you when you get to do it which is really important so in terms of uh, giving a golden nugget what is the one piece of advice you would give to anybody interested in research don't spit the small stuff look at every everything that goes wrong as an opportunity to learn and problem so develop your problem solving skills when i lost all my data after your data collection because i i actually didn't know what i was doing um and i thought i did but but i didn't i allowed myself that night to grieve um and feel upset about the fact that i'd lost a year's worth of data but then i got up the next morning and thought okay really crap that this has happened but now what 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 learning do i take from this and how do i problem solve this so i can collect usable data yeah so and and because of that i'm i am incredibly robust now in terms of my problem solving skills and the ability to take a step back and look at the bigger picture and figure out what's going on um it's very easy to become overwhelmed but take that step back yeah. And uh, if you look at, for me, if I give an EED example, if the data is corrupt, 
take it back to the start point. What plug goes where? And then what's the setup process from start to finish to where you're collecting data? So segment it out to the different stages of your of your data collection and, and just put the puzzle together, I guess. Yeah, stepping back allows you to really think about the questions that you need to ask as well. So it actually gives you a bit of a bigger picture. It allows you to be reflective and actually really think about what questions do I need to ask and how do I create the best research? So I think not sweating the small stuff, but also really kind of taking that step back to allow for problem solving and effective problem solving is really useful advice. One so, more thing, yeah, and, and that is don't be boxed in. You know, I, I there is no way I would have ever seen myself in the position that I am a neuroscientist coming from a social work background. You know, I started off with physical education and health, then to exercise rehab and then to sports sci. I think along the journey, you find, you figure out what you're passionate about. Mm-hmm. But it's not boxing yourself in at the beginning stage. So as an undergrad, I think there's a real temptation to go, what do I want to be doing in five years' time? It's actually okay not to know. Exploring what there is in terms of undergraduate provision and building on um, and exploring different areas. Yeah, definitely. I think that's, again, really good advice, particularly to anybody listening who might be an early career researcher, but also maybe students who are listening to the podcast as well. So that's that's fantastic. So we're going to move on to the, the last section of the podcast now, which is a little game called This or That. It's meant to be quick fire, but I've slowly learned over these podcasts that researchers don't really like quick fire questions. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, it's all fun nonetheless. Uh, so are you ready? You basically have to choose one of the two options. Yeah, I'm good. Okay, coffee or tea? Tea. Qual or quant? Quant. Dogs or cats? Dog. Book or journal? Book. Instagram or Twitter? Twitter. Lit review or methodology? Methodology. Chocolate or sweets? Chocolate. Undergrad or postgrad? Postgrad. Winter or summer? Winter. Reading or writing? Reading. Well, that was probably the most successful one we've had, so I really appreciate that. It's been lovely to chat to you, Shelley. Really nice to to get to know you a little bit more and really hear about your research area. Uh, And yeah, I really hope that everybody listening kind of finds this useful and perhaps taps you up for a bit of uh, Dungeons and Dragons. (laughs) Yeah, thanks for that. (laughs)